The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Sports Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericasports.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. You hear the music, you know the show. You're listening to Real Sports on the Voice America Network. I'm in Phoenix, living like it matters. And what matters to me? Well, uh, there's an annual show that I do every year at the Super Bowl, and it's uh, uh, I've been uh, given the privilege uh, to work with a gentleman by the name of Guy Troop. Uh, Guy uh, owns a consulting firm, Troop 21. He works with uh, college players uh, that are part of the NCAA. He also works with uh, current and former retired, I'm sorry, current and former NFL players, most of them retired NFL players that have have reached out to him that he's known in the past or he's developed a rapport with recently to assist them in their transition uh, from the profession of football into corporate America. Uh, He's done an an outstanding job of... um, working with those young men in preparation. And so what matters to me today is I'm going to revisit a show that I normally do at the Super Bowl entitled Handle Your Business because uh, there is uh, some business that is important to some people and uh, not as important to other people. Um, I think when you look at sports, Some people look at it for the purpose of entertainment, but it is business for those who own those teams, and it should be business for those that are employed by the owners of those teams, which would be the players. And for that matter, uh, I'd like to speak to the players today and to those out there that are fans of the sport of football and of sports in general. Um, just with an understanding that, that, that the athletes have to handle their business. The athletes has to, there's, there's several demands on an athlete when he plays the game. Uh, he, of course, has to be the best player he possibly can be because this is his job. This is how he keeps his job. There are things that happen in sports that could, for some reason or another, cause his job to be terminated. Uh, it could be what he does on the field, or perhaps maybe at times what he does off the field. Uh, in the case that I think I want to speak to today, uh, there's a young man by the name of uh, Ryan Matthews, who's the former running back for the Philadelphia Eagles. Notice I said former. Uh, Ryan, who basically was injured in the offseason, had a, a neck injury uh, he was recovering from. I think he had surgery. And upon him being cleared, to participate, he didn't even get a chance to go step out on the field. Uh, I believe, uh, according to reports uh, that I've been reading online, that he was informed that he'd been released. 
as well as what I saw in one of the big boy shows this morning. Uh, he had been released. It's an ugly, ugly game, but it's not personal from what they say. It's just business. So players have to handle their business. I believe they saved the Philadelphia Eagles being they uh, saved somewhere near about $4 million uh, on the salary cap by releasing him. Now, what I want people to, this is a very sensitive issue to me because I, I, was, I was found in a situation very similar to this young man. I received an injury, a neck injury, in the first game of my seventh year in the National Football League. I played the entire year with the neck injury. I knew it was hurt pretty bad because I, I knew how I felt when I made contact. But I was under the doctor's care, and the doctors are telling me I'm okay. I'm, I'm approved to play every game. So I didn't, even, I didn't miss a game. However, uh, later on, I, after the season was over, I took the time to visit my own doctor after I, too, was released. I was offered a contract by the team. Then they rescinded the offer, and they cut me. And then uh, I decided this, I would seek medical attention on my own and found out that, indeed, I had a very severe neck injury. Uh, chances are, I'm sure, if Ryan were to seek his own personal medical doctor that he probably would get a response that would be different from what the Eagles gave him. And again, this is something that um, it's not the first time it ever happened. It's, it's not the last time it's going to happen. There are people in the profession, in the medical industry, um, that I think they've got a responsibility to the patient not to his employer, not to anybody else, but to the patient to give him an honest answer about his condition, his health condition. This young man probably, if he would go to a doctor that had nothing to do with the Philadelphia Eagles, they probably would tell him, no, I don't think you should play football, not with as bad as your neck is. I, I, I'm almost guaranteed they would tell him that. Um, but, but he is getting his information from a doctor who is related to has some relationship with the Philadelphia Eagles who cleared him to return and go back and play football. In fact, I'm probably going to try my best to reach out to Ryan and ask him to seek his own personal medical attention and probably to never, because for me it was a choice, right? I told them, I said, well, you know, listen, I, uh, one day I hoped that my wife and I would have children and, and I want to be able to play with my children. I, I, I certainly don't want to be a paraplegic you know, which um, the nurse told me, I mean, the doctor told me I could seriously put myself in that situation if I were returned to play football. I had um, herniated discs um, at C4, 5, and 6, and, and bone spurs in my neck. That was some of the things I was dealing with, as well as I had all kind of nerve damage and still do up and down my, both my arms. It's one of those things where, you know, we, we call it a stinger. There is no such thing as a stinger. It's not a medical term. Um, so um, I think uh, I want to go into another subject now. I, I just realized, and I, I apologize for this. I didn't have the screen on purposely. 
I mean, I didn't have the screen on. It wasn't purposely done. It was a mistake on my part. I have two guests that are joining me today. Uh, I believe Kirk Dixon and Guy Troop are both on with me. Uh, and because they're here with me, there's a subject that I want to address as it relates to what's going on in, in society today. Um, I'm just going to say that it is it's, it's, it's a shame as it relates to uh, some of the things that, that happened in Virginia uh, that tie right in to a natural comparison and extension of a conversation about what's happening with, with, with Colin Kaepernick and him not being able to, to get a job in the National Football League. There's nothing to do with his talent. I don't believe. I, I've played football long enough and I've watched football long enough and I've studied football long enough to, to I feel very comfortable saying that he is good enough to at least be one of perhaps maybe 64 quarterbacks. I think every team, there's 32 teams, every, every team has at least two quarterbacks. Um, so that would be 64. I, I believe he is one of the top 64 quarterbacks in the world because I think the best football is played here in the United States of America. So I think he should be employed. Um, some of the things that happen in Virginia kind of spill over into that. Um, because again, I think some of the reasons that some of the people that are against uh, Colin Plain has nothing to do with uh, his ability to play football, but, but his, his personal belief and his opinion and his stance um, about what's happening in a community that's very close to him. As an African-American man, um, he feels that there's some injustice that has been going on for a period of time in the United States of America. And as, as young athletes, many times uh, people are expecting you to be role models and you pick and choose what role you want to play and, and, and what model you're going to be for those individuals and, and how you're going to demonstrate what your beliefs are. Uh, I believe today I, I saw myself where uh, Roger Goodell said that he does believe uh, first of all, the flag is very, very, very important to him, as it is, I believe, to most people that are from this country. Uh, certainly is to me. My father and my brother both were in the military. I never served. Um, but let's look at everything that it stands for, and let's make sure that we, we want to be we hold everybody accountable for everything that it stands for. And, and Colin just believes that there's a demographic of people that have been compromised and that he just didn't feel that. And he wasn't disrespecting the flag. He was just saying that the country is not holding true to what the flag stands for. And as a country, we should be held accountable. And certainly those people um, that have, have done wrong should be held accountable can't be justice for some has to be justice for all and there's uh, two men on the phone that uh, spend a lot of time with young men and the development of young men and I'm just curious uh, to address that today as as they come in contact with these young men when they're sometimes high school and college and some of them I'm sure have strong opinions and they're they're taken into environments where perhaps maybe they're not allowed to voice their opinions or are they allowed to voice their opinions and how do they help them because they do help and shape and mold these young men. Uh, how does it, how do they do that when it's a subject matter such as injustice 
So, Guy, are you there? Yes, sir. Okay. I first want to thank you for joining me today. And uh, you know how much respect I have for you, Guy, and, and the work that you do, uh, and particularly with young men who are, I believe there's a time in their life where you come into their life is probably the, the, the most pressured time of their life because really what they do when they're with you at colleges and universities will determine how their life will play out. Provided if they, if they do some of the right things, they make some of the right choices or the wrong choices, it will affect their life from that, from that point on. I, um, I don't know. If, I'm sure you believe that. That's why you work with them so hard to make sure they make some of the right choices. Um, I know, I, I believe it was University of Missouri last year. Uh, there was a problem, an issue going on. And uh, some, of the, some, some of the athletes on that football team um, wanted to protest in favor of what it, uh, just to show their support for what had happened in, in St. Louis when a young man was killed. Uh, are you finding yeah. are you finding the young athletes that you're dealing with today, guy? Uh, I'm certainly old enough. I'm I'm 58 years old, so I'm, I'm a product of, of of the civil rights movement, and, and I benefited. You know, it was a chance for us to go to any school that we wanted to. Um, I I never I've I've never seen, you know, you know, colored only, white only, black only, white only bathroom signs, drinking fountains. I, I never experienced that myself where I walked into a room and I saw that but I was aware of that was going on as I was being raised from the news and the newspapers so uh, I'm, I'm curious as to uh, fast forward to a generation of, of young men who today find themselves in an integrated environment where they have situations that that they become aware of that's even maybe happening to them or to in places that they are exposed to via the internet or newspaper or television, do you think, it, is, it, is, it, is it harder for these young men today to deal with that uh, because of the fact that people will tell them now, well, you're privileged, you, you, you're not faced with that, why are you worried about that? Or, or do you think I, it's, uh, it's a situation whereas, it was a lot more difficult, I'm sure, and you probably feel this way, a lot more difficult for those who actually had to go through it than those today who have to try to do the best they can to maintain and sustain the, the, the rights that people years ago gave their life for to assure that they would have today. Um, how, how, do you, how do you deal with that with those young men uh, that are faced with those situations today of, you know, we're not going back? I'll first start by thanking you for having me on the show, Ray, and, and uh, believing that uh, I have enough uh, experience to to speak on a topic that is multifaceted with with uh, you know many layers that have to be pulled back to get to the solution. Uh, but I'm I want to revolve. I'd like to start my remarks by just saying that I I think that the young men today experience a similar thing that you and I experienced as young athletes. The, the only difference is the, the uh, commercialization mm -hmm. of 
athletes has grown, uh, the numbers have grown, and the and the the younger you are, you you, you enter into this sort of capitalistic model much sooner than maybe you and I did uh, had the opportunity to. So there's a there's a blessing and a curse in the growth of an industry of athletics that the young athlete. Uh, has to deal with, and there's a blessing and curse of the technology and the exposure to uh, to the issues and how you are viewed as a result of that technology. So, you know, back in the day, it was you know it took took years for a telegram to get across country. You know, now with the uh, you know a sixty hundred sixty character tweet, you can re- you know you can you can make a statement to the world. So the problems that we're referring to, in this case, racism uh, uh, or an unpatriotic American, uh, in this case with Kaepernick, if you're arguing on either side of that, then, you know, I think though Kaepernick faced the same issues Jim Brown did, uh, the same issues as, as uh, Fritz Pollard did as an NFL player in the first uh, a trailblazer in the NFL. So, uh, or Doug Williams is the first African-American quarterback to win a Super Bowl. So, uh, you know, if, if you, if you want to get as macro as possible, I think you have to first start with what, you know, what the issue is with Cap. And, you know, can, can Cap say what he wants to say? Uh, and the First Amendment tells us, that that he can, you know, there's no law that should be passed that doesn't allow him to exercise, you know, speech, and 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 he peaceably assembled to do that. So, any, any American must, with open eyes, honor the fact that he did it under the guise of the First Amendment, not outside of that. He didn't. He didn't go and beat someone up. He he peaceably assembled and communicated something without words. So, uh, and there's a consequence to that, especially a consequence for an African American with an afro that is not apologizing for his stand. So, uh, working in sports, you know, Ray, and you worked in sports, so we, you know, I I could easily say I have blood on my hands in that. Oftentimes, working with high schoolers, college kids, uh, as well as NFL players, I propagate the messages of Big Brother, NCAA, NFL, uh, college, union, and and they're all propagating a message to try to keep the money flowing. And so sometimes I have to argue for the position of the man, if you will, and and I. As an African American, sometimes that's a difficult spot. So I, I can relate very clearly to the challenges that Kaepernick is, is facing, uh, but I cannot relate at all to the violence and the danger and and the and the aggression uh, in Charlottesville, Virginia. And so, if if we are going to reduce our America to that. Uh, then, then we we should really all take a, a close look at ourselves, and and but it, it's not surprising because capitalism and Americans oftentimes settle things with bullets and violence. So war 
the police state that we're in. So it's not surprising for me, but for, for someone that wants peace and growth and and prosperity and unity, we we've all have to look at the violence, the violence of the game of football, the violence of the police force, the violence of our, our government. It's all part and parcel to the problem that we believe that that I think is manifesting and and. Uh, you know we're we're all going to in some way be hurt by it if if we continue to allow it to take place yeah and i i uh I agree with you guy hundred percent i I also believe that you know we have a government for the people by the people and I believe uh the pe- the people have to make a change um if we don't have a change of heart and that's all people um a change of heart and uh Something as simple as, as those uh, words that Rodney King spoke uh, really are, are magical in the sense that, you know, why can't we just all get along? Um, I, I'm, I'm one, I don't believe, I, I never in my life ever considered buying a gun. I don't, own, I don't ever want anybody to give me a gun as a present. I don't think a gun is a solution for any problem. Um, I'm old school, I guess. Uh, I like the scene in 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 the movie of uh, I think it was uh, might have been um, mm, either Boys in the Hood or Straight Outta Compton with a scene where uh, where the dad tells the son, "Hey, you know that's what's wrong with your generation. You know you you can't take an ass whooping. <laughs> you know you're afraid to take an ass whooping. You know put them up. Go ahead, go on out and duke it out. I, you know, first of all, I'm I'm not going to advocate any type of violence, but certainly. Um, I was one of those people that no, nah, I, I, gun, guns, guns and knives. No, that I don't. I don't believe we should settle our differences like that. But certainly, um, I think we got a democratic society here. Um, we have politicians that are supposed to represent, you know, the people. Uh, they're voted in office. If 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 things are, uh, if they're representing a certain demographic of folk uh, based upon their party or whatever it is. Um, hopefully the majority of people feel it should be whatever they vote for is what's right. I, I always have this kind of analogy, our personality I do, I'll, I'll take a situation I'll say, well, suppose, let, me, let me remove the subject and insert my children and how would I feel and, and how, would I re- how would I react then if it, if it, were, if it were my children. Uh, I think I got a good friend, Kirk Dixon, on the line. Kirk, are you there? here Ray I'm here guy how you guys doing oh doing good Kirk and uh, <laughs> just for the sake so everybody will know here uh, I always uh, Kirk and I get together we laugh I say my brother from another mother uh, he, he's my Caucasian brother and uh, uh, um, spent some great time together at the Ohio State University but I know if I want to get an honest opinion um, from somebody who is from another culture I can call upon Kirk and, he, and he'll, he'll provide he'll provide that. <laughs> so uh, I, I wanted to get an honest opinion from you on, on this stuff, too, Kirk, because it's been a while since we got a chance to be here on Voice America. And, and with, with Guy, I just uh, I skipped one break. I don't know. I may skip another break with you, Kirk, because I want, want, want you to voice your opinion uh, just on. And you're back there in Ohio. It's interesting, Kirk, the gentleman. With, with the situation that happened in Virginia, I think he was a 20-year-old young man from Columbus, Ohio. Is that right? 
Did you? Yes, yes. And uh, yeah, that's right. And and kind of again, you know, matching that up to the, the to the Colin Kaepernick situation, and and this is this is Voice America Sports, and but sports is a a, a great part of the United States of America and the world. Uh, I believe uh, what was it, thirty six Olympics? Um, Jesse Owens went into Berlin, uh, but uh, even though uh, it was a time of unrest around the world, they took time out to participate in a sporting event. And um, but at the same time, you know, fast forward and again, sporting events find themselves right in in the middle of, of politics. And uh, you know, one of my all-time great heroes was Muhammad Ali. I, I will. Love that man for the every day of my life. Um, and uh, And again, uh, I think if Muhammad Ali was uh, alive and healthy today, I think he would be side by side with Colin, helping him, um, because Colin's trying to help other people. Colin's life was good. He didn't have a problem. He was making good money. Uh, he was on a National Football League team. Uh, life was good for him, but but he was worried about others. And, and Kirk, I'd just like to hear your opinion in terms of uh, what type of responsibility you think that, that student athletes uh, and professional athletes have to society to, to make our communities, um, let's say, safer and, and let, let's, let's say break down some barriers. Do, do we have a role and responsibility to do that? You a former athlete yourself, baseball player, and thank you for uh, performing well at the university, I could speak well to our baseball program when you were there. Uh, but what, what do you what do you think about that? Do you think athletes and and, and it's, it's interesting to me, Kurt, um, that a lot of the backlash seems to be towards the black athlete, mm. but the black athlete is is the one that's advocating for things that are wrong in his community. That's right. Yeah. Well, it it, it plays to that Martin Luther King quote. And this affects all of us, black or white. Uh, he said, "Injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere." That's exactly so, right. So, folks, folks need to get 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 their heads wrapped around that when we see conflict and we see people speaking up, instead of immediately casting a position and digging in with a firm position, we actually need to lean in with our ears, you know, and seek first to understand. And if, and especially if those individuals that are doing it. Uh, are, are uh, you know, uh, different from us and from circumstances different from us. I think that that's one of the biggest challenges that we have today, uh, 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 you know, uh, presently, is is that we, we, a lot of folks talk about progress has been made. There has been, so we can't lose our heads in that regard, but we are not done. We are so far from the mark, and what makes... America, America, and our democracy, our democracy, in that Declaration of Independence so special is that if people could get in a time machine or be empathetic and sympathetic enough to go back and think about what was happening at the time when the folks that were on this soil um, uh, were being taxed by another country, they were not their own. Um, th th that's where the blood, the pen, the hearts, the minds got wrapped around creating. They call it the grand experiment. You know, but one of the greatest societies that there is, that's what we're up to. You know, we're not about going backwards, we're about going forward. And we've got to, uh, so when I hear conflict and I see, uh, you know, folks protesting, um, 
you know, I pay attention to it. I run the other way. And I, I really encourage my kids, you know, to do the same to do the same thing because there, if someone, you, you, we're never going to make everyone happy, but if someone's unhappy who's a righteous person, has a good soul and a good spirit, we have a responsibility to help correct those injustices. Well, Kirk, um, you said something that was extremely important early on in your, in your statement when you started off is that uh, we needed to hear and, and understand. And, and I think perhaps maybe uh, sometimes we don't take the opportunity to allow the person to clearly articulate what their purpose is. I, yep. think, I think Colin did, and when they did, I think the message was still distorted by other people who continued to take that message on, and, and the media, you know, somewhat, you know, changed, changed it in some way, in some capacity, as they reported it, which let, then... Let me, let me hit you with a couple quotes here, you know, because a lot of this that we're dealing with right now as a country and as individuals is not new. Uh, but we today have got to embrace these principles. I like to refer to it as we're standing on the shoulders of giants. And the, in the Proverbs, it says there is nothing new under the sun. Um, but we have a responsibility to step up to the cause. Now, here's something that Theodore Roosevelt said, you know, uh, uh, that relates to what you're talking about, truth. Uh, Theodore Roosevelt said, patriotism means to stand by the country. It does not mean to stand by the president or any other public official save exactly to the degree in which himself stands by the country. It is patriotic to support him insofar as he efficiently serves the country. It is unpatriotic not to oppose him to the exact extent that by inefficiency or otherwise he fails in his duty to stand by the country. In either event, it is unpatriotic to not tell the truth, whether about the president or anyone else. And part of what I have a problem with today is that by virtue, and I don't want to get too political and too tied to an individual, whatever, but, but that's from Theodore Roosevelt, and that's from over 75 years ago. But it's, it, it's as real, and it's as on the mark today as ever. Here's another founding father, Benjamin Franklin. He said, if all printers, meaning the press, were determined not to print anything until they were sure it would offend nobody, there would be very little print. And, that, and, and, and Benjamin Franklin was in the newspaper business. John Adams, the second president, said the liberty of the press is essential to the security of the state. Um, Thomas Jefferson, our liberty depends on the freedom of the press, and that cannot be limited without us losing and much being lost. So the ability for us to tell the truth, the ability for us to express our differences, the ability for us to stand up and express a view, and... It should be celebrated, Ray. It should not create the type of stuff that we saw last week, last week, and last weekend. I mean, that, that, is, that, that is just so disturbing and disappointing. Yeah, and those type of images, of course, as, as we see them now, of course, with, with the global platform of the Internet, uh, in real time, everybody around the world sees that. And, yeah. and, and that's and, the impression and, that, that, uh, that we leave the other parts of the world with in terms of what is representing the state of America when they see that. Yeah. See, you know, I, I think that the thing that uh, concerns me most as, a, as, as, a, as a, a man in this country and as a father to my daughters, you know, I had I had two plaques hanging on the wall as my daughters were growing up. But as you know, they're you know much older now, 18 and 16. But, but this was a reminder to me and to their mother. One of them said, um, our children believe what we show them. And another one said, your actions are speaking so loudly, I can't hear what you're saying. 
And and to me, the reason I loved those was it was so that every morning when their mom and I looked in the mirror, you know, we had to look at the person looking back at us and say, am I at my best? Am I giving them my best, even if it hurts? Am I setting them up because I aspire to something greater than, than even us and our ability to live up to? Because I expect more of them. And to me... You know, I, I like to refer to it as compass in north. You know, you get lost in the woods, you got a compass. It always bears north. That's how you, you know, it's just like the navigators before we had compasses looked at the north star across the seas. You know, our north, we don't need to create it. It is the Constitution, and it is the words of our founding fathers and our amazing great civil rights leaders, like a Mahatma Gandhi, like a Dr. King. We, we, when we look to those words that were in many cases carved, created out of the crisis of their time, we, you know, it should inspire us, and it should also vindicate us to hold ourselves to a higher standard. And what, what concerns me when, when I see what's happening with the Kaepernick as an example is, it's, you know, I call it the turtle phenomenon. I mean, people get beat over the head, they just get like a turtle, they just go in their shell. But that isn't what made this country great. What made this country great is people believing that their wordy words, even if it's even if it rubbed against the grain, was worthy of being said. You know, I mean, that's the whole point of diversity, diverse ideas, diverse people, diverse experiences. When you learn to work with it and manage the differences, you are stronger, you are sharper, to some degree invincible. So to me, a big part of of, of, of our challenge today is keeping our heads and, and not getting so polarized, you know, on the right or on the left or on the black or on the white. It's we we are all up to the same goal, the same vision. Yeah, Kurt, can I jump in and 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 uh, really like talk about the polar? Guy, if, if I can just, uh, guy, if I can just uh, have you hold on to those comments, and uh, okay. on the other side of break, I'm gonna let you come back with them. So I gotta take a break. You know, okay. so Ray Ellis Sports on the Voice America Network. I'm in Phoenix, living like it matters. We're gonna take a break, and we'll be right back. Internet flagship station for sports. Voice America Sports. So Andy Serling packed his bags, left the city, and is enjoying his temporary digs in Saratoga. But that won't stop us from bringing you Playing to Win, the best online handicapping show for serious horse players. Catch Andy and his great lineup of guests every week throughout the month of August on location from the beautiful Saratoga Racecourse. He and his guests are some of the best in the biz. They bring you new insights to making money, and they tell it like it is. I'm 3-5-1 in this race, but the three is very much the one to beat. We're going to completely disagree on this race. I absolutely disagree. Spicer, especially at one to two. And it's anything but the same old horse racing show. This is a nine horse field, but really there are seven donkeys and two zebras. Playing to Win with Andy Serling, a show seriously committed to making more money at the game, but with a personality. This is a dunce cap horse for me. If this horse wins, next week I got the dunce cap on. YouBet.com's Playing to Win, presented by the Daily Racing Forum. Look for it the day before big race days, mostly Fridays. Find a complete schedule in the Daily Racing Forum or click on Playing to Win at YouBet.com. 
Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings of the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our wall. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. Your internet flagship station for sports, Voice America Sports. All right, you hear that music, you know the show. You listen to Ray of the Sports on the Voice America Network. I'm in Phoenix, living like it matters. And, uh, of course, what, what matters to me is that uh, there are young men out there today who are uh, representing themselves as, as student-athletes and professional athletes who... Um, at times, uh, society wants them to quiet their voice, uh, and there's other times where society expects them uh, to speak up, and it could be a little confusing at times. Um, so I'm trying to bring some clarity to that based upon a couple gentlemen who are on the line who've done tremendous work in the space of dealing with, with athletes, both professional and college, and uh, to allow them to... Uh, contribute to their community in, in a positive way. And certainly Guy Troop was about to uh, say something before I, uh, I went to break. So, Guy, why don't you go right ahead? Yeah, I, uh, you know, I think the beauty of dialogue is that a, uh, a, a well-intentioned person can listen to the other person and try to find the unifying thoughts versus the divisive thoughts, right? And so I think that's the beauty of sort of your relationship with Kirk that you described. Yeah, and, I, I, and God, I'm glad you said that because I, I think that perhaps maybe uh, that could be some of the problem uh, with society is, uh, you know, what is the intent, what is the purpose uh, when they do come together uh, what are the what what's the, what are the goals of of the individuals and then collectively what are you trying to accomplish? And That's I know right. I know I'm working with you and Kirk. We we always um, go into with the plan and understanding what our goals are and what we're looking to accomplish when we come out and then we revisit it to see if we were successful in meeting those. And yeah. and I and and so let, let, uh, you took me right where I wanted to go, Ray. So part of what I want to say is that sports football baseball, uh, diverse locker rooms uh, come together for the common good of winning games. And then we, we oftentimes say that that's diversity. Well, it really is greenversity. Somebody's trying to make some money and get some W's so a head coach or, or a professional athlete gets paid. And so, you know, the offensive linemen that drive pickup trucks, and and this is stereotypical in the wide receiver that drives Bentleys, very rarely are they really friends after ball. So right. there's a polarization that exists, Kurt, that each of us is responsible for and we gotta we gotta have honest dialogue about it. You know, the brothers go over here and talk, the white guys go over here and talk, the ladies go over here and talk, you know, the the uh the uh LGBT community goes over here and talks, and then when we come together, we don't really tell our complete truth. 
we get mm. we get right up to the line. We you know we try to be PC. So so my, my what I really want to think about in in the solution phase of this is is you know where is what's the root of this problem? And so mm. you know I, my wife and I just yesterday looked at the brown eyed blue eyed experiment. Uh, it was a, if you don't know much about it, it was a teacher that uh, basically took uh, several students through an experiment. Uh, and she started this sort of experiment after Dr. King was shot, but she she's since taken it to the military and corporate America and all throughout the world. But but essentially, what, it, what she's trying to make non what people without melanin in their skin to understand the the weight of the world when you have melanin in your skin and how skin color has been used to perpetuate. Uh, power and authority. And so I know for certain that many times I have to balance out that through, you know, some strategy. If if someone sees me coming, I've got to make them feel comfortable because I look threatening for whatever right. reason. And I'm and I'm not threatening, but I'm I'm going to stand on my feet and be a man and be honest and try to communicate fairly and give as much information as possible. But because of my skin tone, I get perceived a certain way. So, and, guy, guy, I, I just if I could jump in there for a second, though, uh, because I think you're hitting on something where I, I certainly wanted this conversation to make sure that we we address those issues is, uh, you know, that happens for a lot of the young black athletes today. You know, um, when somebody sees them coming, automatically they got a hoodie on. They got what you know, and you know, athletes create some of the styles that that take off. And for lack of a better word, they start trending. They they create a lot of those styles. So so what what are they supposed to do? How how do you accomplish that? We always talk about transferable skills. How are you able to do that? Because that a part of the solution is okay. Well, how is guy able to do that? And, and put people at ease and make them comfortable. But but this other guy down the street here, whose name is not Guy, but another gentleman, who's also black, he, he can walk into the same environment. Uh, he's a black man, maybe have on the same suit you have on. You can be dressed exactly like two people walk into the same situation and get different results. Uh, what is it that you've found that has worked for you that perhaps maybe is something that could work for some other people provided they find themselves in a situation whereas they're the only one and they're trying to make a group of people comfortable. Can I chime in well, on that? I'll, I'll be real guy? quick, Kurt, and then I was going to transition it to you. It's a simple phrase for me. The courage to communicate honestly from my heart and my own truth. And so I met Kurt Dixon 20 years ago and with the same sort of hang-ups, I played football with a lot of white guys, but I couldn't say I had a real a guy that was like my friend, like we, we went and drank beer together. We chased girls together. We, you know, we, 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 we called each other when our moms were sick. I never had that, you know, until I was in my mid thirties where I even saw someone, uh, of your, you know, European descent or, uh, without melanin in their skin. And I could even say, well, I, you know, this guy is just like my buddy. So the, I had the courage to be vulnerable with a guy like Kurt, and then we became friends, and, and we yep. learned to love each other. Yep. Okay, yep. okay, Kirk, I believe you wanted to, you wanted to comment yeah. on that? 
Right. Well, again, and I, I uh, you know, again, I have to draw from some of the thought leaders ahead of us. But one of my favorite quotes from Dr. King is uh, so relevant today into what Guy is is, is saying. Uh, he said, "We don't trust each other because we don't know each other. We don't know each other because we don't communicate. We don't communicate because we are separated." And so, to answer your question, you know, part of the solution is is that. To Guy's point, you know, he just shared a kind of a tip he used that be vulnerable, but also part of that is access to be comfortable, be uncomfortable being around those different than you, you know. And, uh, you know, I can tell you as much as I thought I knew about um, what it was to be black versus white based off of my entire life, being a white guy, you know, growing up in a white community and white senior leadership, this and that, when I spent four years at Howard University, every single day I had to confront how little I really knew. And I left there after four years knowing more than I knew coming in, but the biggest thing I left is I'll never know what it's like to be black. <laughs> I mean, I will never know, so stop trying to act like I do. So even though I know more than most white people I know because by virtue of the friends I've had the last 25 years, probably the most valuable thing I know is I will never know, ever. And I will stop judging and I will stop trying. But it's beyond the color of the skin. It's beyond the black-white. It's, it's what I love about my friends is, again, it's Dr. King's word, the content of their mind the content of their character, who they are as human beings. You know, I always say, you know, we're all part of the human race. There's one. We're all part of it. We should celebrate the differences. But it, again, it's you know, from a pragmatic and practical standpoint, it is most times for all sides involved difficult to lean in. The same with religion, creed, sex, um, homophobia, you name it. And those who are different from us, it's unnatural to lean in and to be uncomfortable with being disarmed by being not knowing, by being maybe saying the wrong thing, doing the wrong thing. And I can only tell you that, you know, for me, what progress I've made, and I'm still work under progress, it's because I just love Guy has simply been comfortable being uncomfortable. Yeah, and I think uh, I, I was going to say that, Kirk. I, I believe... First, for us to be comfortable, we have to walk into a situation where we are uncomfortable, and, and then that will allow us to uh, to be comfortable eventually. Uh, but I mean, I'll, I'll give you I'll give you a couple specific examples where I knew when I first got to Howard, and, and you know, for those four years, I lived with black brothers who worked at Howard University and their families. Um, and uh, um, so when I came, when I worked at work. I was I was a minority among my African American brothers and sisters, and when I went home, I lived in, in 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 a situation that I didn't couldn't turn it off. It just was, and wow, how it, it's an opportunity most will never have. But for me, it was just so enlightening. And what I appreciated was what those around me were bringing to the conversation. I still remember Tyrone Pitts, who was our treasurer at Howard, was making an effort to get to know me and what it's like to be white. And she, she said, Kirk, when you're around your Caucasian friends, and I had to go, whoa, 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 let's stop right there. Please don't ever use that word Caucasian with me again. It's okay to call me white. That's mm -hmm. what I give. Right. Uh, I remember another time sitting around a couple bottles of wine with Tyrone and his mom and and, uh, and and her sisters, his aunts, and, and we'd had a few to drink. And, and, and at one point, the conversation turned to me. I was the only white guy at the table. And they said, Kirk, tell us a white story. Like, tell us what it was like growing up white. 
And uh, and I told him, you know, when I was eight years old, the story I know you guys know, where I was pretty much told by my family or my my elders at that time that um, blacks have their kind. This was during the '60s, during Malcolm X and Martin Luther King, and a lot of the craziness was going on in the streets. Uh, of course, after last week, and it's still going on, right? But but my white elders were telling me uh, they have their kind, we have our kind, and Kirk, don't ever bring one home, as if. You know, and, and just the wow. tone of that language, language, and and even though I was only eight years old, I knew there was something wrong with that. You know, but when I told that story that night at Ty- Tyrone's house, everybody in the in, in at the table just busted out laughing, except Mom mm. and Tyrone's. And, 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 and Mom goes to Tyrone, "Why is everybody laughing? Why is it so funny?" And Tyrone goes, "Mom, that's the same thing you told us." <laughs> 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 well, well, Kurt, you, you can believe yeah, there was some of those stories being told in in black homes as well, and right. uh, and and, and it's okay. I mean, it, it's not okay, but it's okay. I mean, that's I guess that level of truth that Guy was alluding to, and that level of dialogue where people have to get comfortable not being judged, and in and, and the spirit of we we got to be honest and just say, no matter how smart we are, no matter how many degrees we are, how experienced what our salary might look like, all the looking good things, this is a case where we've got to learn to be okay being vulnerable, to being stupid. The F is, it's better that we try and get it wrong than we don't try at all. As soon as the heart is coming from, we, we belong together. We share this earth together. The Constitution in this country says, it, it inspires us, it commands us to, well, all men are created equal. It's about the pursuit of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness for everyone. So That's I, the calling part. So I, I certainly don't expect you gentlemen to have the answer today, but I, I know you guys are certainly working on uh, some solutions. And so uh, based upon the, the uh, experience of working with athletes, uh, do any of you have any stories where there was a major... Um, problem amongst the races at, at any level of your uh, athletic careers? Well, yeah, I, can, I mean, I, I have several, uh, but I, I grew up uh, in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and um, and I went to college at Wichita State University and Howard University, and I uh, ultimately transferred to Howard from Wichita State because of race. And I was I was not able to understand why I was being treated the way I was being treated as an athlete. And so I was a student athlete, I had great grades, et cetera. Uh, you know, a little aggressive like most athletes, a little radical or stubborn, but not not ill intended. And I think most people who know me, I mean, I've never never been arrested, never done anything close to being, you know, you know, what what someone would call a bad guy, other than the typical, you know, youthful things that that boys do. And that's you know really probably revol- revolving around what I call the athlete trifecta: uh, women, marijuana, and alcohol. And so uh, I I dipped my toe in all of that as a young man. So. Uh, but but the story really is that uh, you know I have played in several games inside of this great thing we call athletics, where racism came out, uh, 
Mm. And and so I've heard stories of of great NFL players that said, "Hey, the the N word was used in the in the locker room," and uh, the the great uh, you know one one black player said, "Hey, I don't really care how you use it as long as you can tackle tackle the running back down. If you need to do that to motivate yourself to tackle them, go ahead." Okay, but I, the 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 experience I wanted speak about is when I, I was an enforcement rep for the NCAA and uh, you know we had a noon hoop game regularly uh, where you know 15 to 20 guys we, we you know they would give us two days a week we could go down and take a two and a half hour lunch break uh, and we'd, we'd play for an hour and a half and you know shower and, and grab a quick bite to eat so um, it was standard practice that we could do it and uh uh, Dick Schultz was the executive director at that time and then said Dempsey to follow, you know, just believed that it was healthy for us to break the stress, get to know each other as staff, et cetera. So inevitably, you know, once a quarter, we played white versus black games. Now, no one said all the white guys over here, all the black guys over here, but mm-hmm. it always happened that way once, at least once a quarter. Mm-hmm. Okay. And, you know, if, you know, if we were all being fair and honest about it, you know, the energy and the competitive fire increased when that happened. (laughs) Did did it make you a better team? Yes. Well, well, so what is that about? I know it made us better competitors. I don't know who won any more than the other, Mm -hmm. but, but the unit, the, the pride that both sides decided to have when that was on the line was much different than, if it was a mixed team. Mm. Well, that, that, so that's interesting, I don't know man. what to make of that. I'm just telling you that that happened more than once. <laughs> I, I think that's the reality of, of, of facing the truth. I think Kirk talked about that earlier. And uh, the truth is that, and, and you mentioned it too, Guy, when you walked down the street, okay, it was obviously that you were a black man, so you, you knew uh, that the folks knew you were black. So... Uh, I guess there was some things they had in their mind of how they expected you to be. And uh, and I, I just think that if, if there is a way, like you just explained, the reality of it is that there was a time where the blacks was on one team, the whites were on one team. It, it is what it is, knowing that we are who we are. But then just being honest, as both of you said earlier, I, I think in the dialogue of whatever the issues are at hand, if it's coming from a black perspective, it's coming from a black perspective. If it's coming from a white perspective, it's coming. But allowing people to communicate openly and honestly, and uh, without it, without that the hatred, I, I think that that will help us. Um, well, one one thing I, I I'll piggyback on that that comment, Ray. Uh, when I lived uh, for for two years, I lived in Oxon Hill, Maryland. Those are familiar with that. It's primarily an African American uh, Hispanic area. Um, uh, uh, and, uh, you know, I was, and this is within the last five years, I was surprised as a white person that when I went shopping to Victoria's Secrets in that, that, that community, the, the customer, again, I was the only white person in the store, Bath and Body Works, Home Depot, International House of Pancakes, uh, the grocery store, that's where I lived, you know, and, 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 and when I walked in, I can tell you that nine out of it's got to be more than nine out of ten because I only had two individuals in the course of the, the, the two years I lived there. 
who came up to me and just said, you're in my neighborhood or get out of my neighborhood. Uh, I fully expected that more often than it happened. It only happened twice. I can count on one hand. The, the, the thousands of encounters I had other than that, I, I occasionally would get somebody, a black person, look at me surprised and go, are you lost? Wow. <laughs> like, in a joking way. Mm-hmm. Or do you know where you are? And in the, in the minute I say, yes, you know, it, it'd just be cool that, you know, the, the amount of respect, uh, the embracing uh, that, that, that it was, you know, almost over. And I think that that's something that also needs to somehow get out there and get communicated, you know, and I think that's on both sides, you know, because despite what happened in Charlottesville, most white people uh, are good people, you know, good Christians, you know, those, there's, they're, 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 they're not radicals and they're not the nuts. Uh, that deserve to be shut down. Yeah. Um, and, 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 and as whites are looking at black, same thing. You can go into a black neighborhood and 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 and, and not expect that. But I mean, I can just tell you that I prob- it's probably eighty percent of the white people I know that that would look at me with their head turned and disagree with that. And the sad part is they're never going to have that experience because of the fear. That these are otherwise educated and very smart people. Gentlemen, I hate to cut you off, but uh, we're at the end of the show. Uh, really appreciate your, your comments, uh, and you're always welcome to come back. Uh, this is not just an hour show. This is a show that we need to carry on for a couple hours. So we certainly will attempt to do that in, in the next uh, couple weeks or so. So thank you so hey, much. Can I, can I end? I'm going to end with one last uh, Dr. King quote. There you go. Go ahead, Kurt. As it relates to Charlottesville, he said that we must accept finite disappointment but never lose infinite hope. How's that, folks? And, and, and that was uh, my boy Kirk Dixon, my white friend from The Ohio State University, who quoted Dr. King more times than my black friend Guy Troop, who is from Howard <laughs> University, and myself. <laughs> Rayel is also a black man. And, and our, our white brother quoted Dr. King at least four times to our zero times. And then when it's good, it's good. When it's right, it's right. Hey, it's right, it's right. So I appreciate it again, guys, for joining me on the show. Look forward to talking to you again soon. Uh, For those out there listening, thank you so much for joining. You've been listening to Rail of Sports on the Voice America Network. And I'll see you next time, which will be the best time. you for spending this hour with Ray Ellis Sports. We hope that you've enjoyed today's conversation. For more information and to write Ray, visit RayEllisSports.com. That's RayEllisSports.com. Be sure to join us again next Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern, right here on the Voice America Sports Channel.